Thank you for joining us today at River City Church, a church living in love. If you have a prayer need, would like to speak to a pastor, or have questions about today's message, please email us at info at rivercitysmyrna.com. For more information or to give to the ministries of River City Church, please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com. We hope you are encouraged by today's message. God for today. I thank you for, the, for John. I thank you for the gospel you gave John. I thank you for your beloved disciple. I thank you for the words you spoke to us. I thank you that in this Advent season, Lord, we've seen that you are about peace. You are about joy. God, you are about hope. And lastly, this week, you are about love. And it is what sets us apart from every other religion, God. As people are taking their lives for other causes and other religions so that they can get a better blessing in whatever realm that they think they're entering to, you send Christians who would die for other people for the other person's benefit. There's nothing that compares to that. You were that. You martyred yourself. And at the point of where you had your best argument to live, you decided, for the sake of them all, I will lose my life. They are more important right now. And because of that, we get to stand in this room. We get to have candlelight services. We get to pray for healing. And we get to see it happen. So thank you that your love, God, is the answer that our world needs. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have missed any of the Advent stuff, um, it's all on the podcast, except for last week. Most of it's there. It'll be there soon. You can check it out on the podcast. Um, we did. Sarah Starr. Do you guys enjoy when Sarah spoke? It's really good. So good. Is she in here? She keeps leaving. So it was great. It's on the podcast. We spoke of, um, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how peace is Jesus being in your boat. Whatever your storm is in your life, it's not Jesus coming to say, I'm giving you all happy things. It's no matter what's going on, Jesus is in your boat. You can do whatever. So cling to that guy. Like lay down next to him and be like, I'm staying next to Jesus. And then last week, we talked about, do you guys remember what we talked about last week? Joy. joy. And joy being a gift, the chedra of God. It's a word used for it. That it's the way that he sees you. It's not a feeling he's trying to manifest in you. It's jo his joy to you. It's he looks at you and he says, I love you, Rachel Mincher, and I am for you. 
That's, that's the joy that he gives us. It's not about feelings. It's about, at the end of the day, like, this guy and our feelings catch up to it. This week it's love. This is the most vastest topic in the Bible. It's like asking me to preach from the Bible. Can you preach from the Bible this week? Preaching from love. And so, what is love, you know? <laughs> what is love? Yeah? Anybody go there? Yeah. What is love? That's a... Good. It's good stuff. Here's where I want to brag on you when we talk about love. Um, that's our first vision tenet, right? Over there. And and again, on the podcast, there's like four weeks of talks about it. You guys love each other well. When we talk about like the greatest commandment is love God and love others, I trust that you're gonna love each other well. There's been seasons for us where things have happened because in community, you cannot control community. Everybody can't be happy all the time, everybody can't be whole all the time. Life on life in a real biblical community means you're going to face people that you do not like. It doesn't matter how Christian your community is. You're going to be around people that rub you the wrong way and push your buttons. And I've seen you guys fight through that. We prayed for a community that would have other involved. We're not trying to be all Bethel-ish, and we're not trying to read the Bible all day long. Like, it's not, we're not, we're trying to collect a group of people that can look at the other and say, you have a place in my life. And I'm not trying to change you so that you can be there. I accept, and our community is that. We have people from all different spectrums that come to the table of Jesus. And just because that rules the day are at the table. We see that here. We see people making room for others. We see people asking questions instead of demanding change. And I'm just thankful for that. Where I do think about when I started praying about this, I felt like the Lord was challenging me and even myself. We're pretty good at loving others well. If biblically, love equals obedience to our Father, I think the challenge lies there for us. And this is just, this might be heavy, I hope not, but obedience is love of, of Jesus. That's how you show your obedience to Jesus. That's how you show your love for Jesus, if you obey your Father. And so my, my heart for you guys isn't that we would just be this beautiful community where we love each other, but that with our actual lives, we transition from, I'm protecting all my own, I'm going to love people, and we step into, my whole life is now about Jesus. It's a whole different way to be in the world. It's not, see, we're not American Christians. That's why we, we can't rely on what's about to happen politically. It's not going to do anything. It's not, it's, it's not the means by which Jesus would change the world. Not by power nor by might, but by my spirit, says the living God. So politically, we can put our marbles in somebody's, but it doesn't really matter because at the end of the day, we have to be Christian Americans. And that's a whole different ballgame. To be a Christian American is to be selfless in a society. And it's to say, I'll do what you want me to do with my life. Not what I want to do with my life. I hope this isn't too heavy for you because this is the day about love. And I want you to leave with like butterflies. And I want you to color when you get home. It's going to be pretty. But Jesus looks at us, and then he steps on a cross, and he dies and says, I did all of this for you. I need you to taste and see how good this is, and then I need you to be mine for the rest of your life. Not so I can hoard you and t tell everybody, these are mine, you get away, but so that I can then send you, and you can be that for people. But there's this conscious decision we have to make to not be American Christians, but to be Christian Americans. And that means he is first in our lives, right? He is first. 
Seek ye first. I don't know why I'm using King James there. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all other things will be added to you. You cannot seek a better job. You cannot seek a better husband, wife. You cannot seek a better partner. You cannot seek a better place to live. You cannot seek East Cobb for your happiness. Seek first the kingdom, and all the other things will be added to you. And if you look at our society, right, this is where it's confusing for Christian Americans is we are the other. We are the rich. In relation to the whole world, maybe this example is from Jesus, maybe it's me. Came this morning, I'm going to say it. If you gather people from all over the world, you just randomly went to different continents, we're like, taking you, taking you, taking you, taking you, and you sit them all in a circle and you put water in the middle of it. There are people in that group that will fight for the water because they need water to live, right? So you can't just bring water and give it to everybody and be like, this is... But then there's people who would look at it and start talking about the seltzer that they've been drinking and the coffee that they've been drinking because they don't need that to live, right? They already have it. We're them. We're them. We are the richest country in the history of the world. We are the most privileged country that has ever been around. You, your families, as people, the most privileged ever. Even the one in here that thinks, well, I'm, you're not poor. I promise. Some of you have been out of the country. You're not poor. You're not. You've never known what it means to starve for four days or to not have water because there's water everywhere. When we first moved here, people were like, is there not a filtration system here? I'm like, are you kidding me? There's a faucet. Not really, because I wanted the filtration system too. <laughs> we are the people who don't need basic needs. So the gospel for us isn't give us water, we love it, we'll drink it. Whereas you go to another country, you build a well and teach them how to maintain it. They'll listen to your gospel because you're meeting a dire need in their life. Whereas in America, we don't need wells. We need better reasoning, right? We're like the people at the Areopagus, sitting around reasoning about what we'll talk about spiritually. Will we be like Bethel? Or will we be like Andy Stanley? Or will we focus on this theological matter? Can we reason together? This is a different society. And so Jesus coming to us, he doesn't meet our needs by walking up to a well and healing us. Some of us need healing, but there's not an immediate need, right? So what has to happen I want to read you, tell me the most used scripture you've ever heard, really quickly. <laughs> so awesome. Does anybody know it? Everybody knows it, right? Everybody. Somebody tell me John 3.16. Christian points for everybody, right? So... I literally prayed and asked the Lord to show me what to preach, and he, I think he told me, I really believe as I was praying, it was like, you've really challenged me ever since I, and I do ask the Lord to speak before I speak to you. It's not that I don't seek the Lord, but like one thing that really stuck out to me, and he said John 3.16. I was like, are you kidding me? John 3.16, Lord? And he was like, yeah, you gotta preach on that. I was like, ah. But then I started studying it, and I found Nicodemus in the passages, and I was blown away by him. He's only mentioned three times in the Bible, all in the book of John. He's mentioned in John chapter 3, he's mentioned in John chapter 7, and he's mentioned in John 19. And there's a progression in him. And what I love about him is he's extremely privileged. So 
We're more like Nicodemus in this passage than other passages where you see radical things happening, where people need bread. We're really like Nicodemus. And so as I start reading this, I want you to keep that in mind. If you can bring up John chapter 3, I'm going to read you a lot. I'm going to read you verses 1 through 18. I'll read it with you. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be, Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher. This is Jesus talking to Nicodemus. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness... So the Son of Man must be lifted. Stay there for a second. Just, just go back real, real quick. Just for you guys to have a little feedback on this. In the Old Testament, Israel had sinned, and God created this idea that if they would create this bronze or snake to hold up in front, any man who would look upon that, their sins would be forgiven. It was kind of like a type to teach someone is coming, Jesus is coming, and just like that, if you hold that up, if the man, Son of Man be lifted up, if you look upon him, then also your sins might be forgiven. You with me? Yeah. Okay. Fifteen that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. I wish we said this verse more. I wish this was partnered with it more. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. And just for you guys to know, because that last part seems a little harsh, it's the same type of verbiage that's used when the prodigal son leaves. And in the realization, after he leaves, his condemnedness is not, a, I'm con- it's the father, it's not the father saying, I'm condemning you. Does that make sense? It's the realization of what you've given up for what you have. So the condemnness is more about, oh my goodness, that was better, right? It's the same thing with Judas. As he leaves, like without Jesus, he realized it's not even worth being alive. It's that kind of, it's not, it's not us becoming the tool to tell the world, you're all condemned, right? That's not the message of the gospel. The message of the gospel is for God so loved the world, he didn't even come to condemn it, but to love it. So outside, this is, and this is the tricky part. Our job is to convince people that he is better than what they already have. 
He is better. I believe that. That's why I'm giving my life to him. He's better than whatever idea I have of how I want to exist, whatever my life is. Think about where your life is right now. Whatever that idea that you think you're going to protect his version of what he has for you when you seek first the kingdom of God is better when you're all in for him. Does that make sense? So, long intro, but I love it. Here's the parts about this passage that blew me away. And somewhere in chapter 1 and 2, Nicodemus is so blown away by Jesus that he goes to see Jesus in the time when you would study if you're a rabbi, and that's at night. So homeboy has enough, what can I say here? Um, guts. <laughs> to go find Jesus at night. I, d- I love this about Nicodemus. Like, who, who do you... F- who in the Bible is like searching Jesus out? You know, like a few people, one lady touches the hem of his garment, she's healed. Some other people are like, send me there if you do that. This guy goes and finds him in his study. When I'm studying, I'm not a fun person to be around. I hate that about me. Like when I'm studying, I study a lot. I study too much. It's cool things. It's one of those like I'm putting myself down, but it really sounds good. I study way too much. <laughs> Terrible. Because I'm so smart, it's hard. But he's studying. And this guy comes and finds him at night, and a lot of people believe it's because he's in fear that if he's seen, and it, it's true. Like, this guy has no reason to find Jesus. This, this is who this guy is. He's a Pharisee, which there are 6,000 of, and 70 of those are the upper echelon. He's one of them. He's a ruler, and listen to his job. His job is to find any prophet that's not real. So the scribes spend all their lives writing out all of these laws, even adding new laws. They take the laws which exist and find any wiggle room, and they add more. And then the Pharisees take that and live it out. And if somebody comes along that is not from God, it's your job to find them and destroy them. And you can even have them killed. So this is the guy that decides he's seen something in chapters 1 and 2 that's made a light bulb go off in his mind. He hasn't been given water. He doesn't need it. He's wealthy. He's the best of the best in this society. He doesn't need clothes. They didn't put, put together a clothing drive for Nicodemus. He sees something in the life of Jesus, whether it's the, the wine that he creates, and it's not even much there, like in the first two chapters. I'm sure there's other things that aren't listed. He's, he's so moved by it, he steps out of his comfort zone, finds Jesus in his place of study, goes in to where he's studying, and this is baffling. He's there to prove that the law is the way that you do it. First thing he says is, we, and who the heck is we? We know that you are the Son of God. First, if I'm Jesus, if I'm, Jesus I'm like, okay, there's one of you who's we, who's the other guy? Is there somebody out there? Are you talking about other Pharisees? What are you talking about? Jesus doesn't even dabble. I love this about Jesus. Nicodemus comes in with the wrong argument from the wrong place. He's trying to talk about what the flesh can do. What what is the law? The law is a way to control the flesh, the patterns of the flesh. It's a way to submit the flesh. If you do all these things, do, perform. If you do all these things, then you're right. And he's trying to start an argument with Jesus by saying, listen, we know you're God. You're doing miracles. And Jesus doesn't even interact with that. Jesus turns the, this is another place that I was really confused with this. Jesus is supposed to be this loving guy that's selfless, and he's grilling Nicodemus. You have to be born again to see what I'm talking about, Nicodemus. Nicodemus is like, excuse me for a moment. 
How in the blank am I going to get back into the womb? It doesn't make sense, Jesus. Jesus doesn't take the bait there either. No, you're not understanding. What's born of the Spirit has to come from the Spirit. What's born of the flesh comes from the flesh. You live your life based on the flesh. You've given your life to the law, and it's the most important thing. Your job is to do the law as good as you can and to perform. He's trying to take Nicodemus, and Nicodemus never, in this conversation, never goes from that. He stays there. He's frustrated. He doesn't get his answer. I love this about Jesus that I love a couple things about Jesus. He's totally fine with your tough questions. And here, he's fine being sought out in times where he shouldn't be sought out. And here, he's not super nice, but he loves Nicodemus. That's hard for me, right? Because my version of Jesus, he's always like loving and I'm sitting in his lap. But there are times when he's like, your, your thought pattern is going to destroy you. It's going to destroy you. And love for you is not me patting you on the behind and saying, get back in the game, Josh. It's saying, you have to be born again. You have to go from reason in the flesh where this equals this to reason in the spirit where it's a whole different reality. And he's trying to train Nicodemus to see something he cannot see because he's so focused on performing and doing right and doing good. But something in Nicodemus is saying to himself, something has to change. I cannot be like this. I have to find Jesus and talk to him. I know he's got it. Jesus hasn't even risen from the dead, risen from death yet. He hasn't even risen yet. Baffling. So, so I see us in this, right? Like, I see us in him so much. We don't show up and say, give us water. We're like, no, explain to me this, God. Tell me this. Why did this happen? And Jesus is saying to us, stop trying to reason. You cannot. It's going to take faith. What's born of the Spirit has to come of the Spirit. It won't be able to be seen in the natural, and it won't make sense in the natural. If you're a Christian trying to logically explain everything through the rest of your life, you're going to be very disappointed because the very premise of what you believe is miraculous and not real. So go ahead and get over it. It doesn't all have to make sense, and it doesn't have to add up. In fact, if it did, we wouldn't have a Savior because our Savior was put into a womb without her being impregnated. She was impregnated by the Spirit. Mess with my mind. Our Savior died and came. None of the, the very foundations of what we believe makes sense flesh on flesh. It only makes sense to the Spirit. So he's trying to say to Nicodemus here, you're going to lose this battle if you cannot get out of your reason and logic. It's not going to make sense. It's going to have to take a step of faith. And you're going to have to make something make sense that doesn't make sense. It's like he was saying, this is what I feel like he was saying. I really believe what you're saying, but it's impossible. I cannot climb back into a womb. That's impossible. That is an awful mental picture. First and foremost, sorry for giving you the mental picture I just gave you, but that is just horrific to say that to your Savior. I cannot climb back into a womb. Horrible, right? It can't happen. No, you're right. You can't. So stop thinking the way that you're thinking. So John 3.16 comes, and this is the motivation, right? I love that it comes like this, and it shows the agape love for the first time. And it says to the world. So he's sending this not to his nation, not to the select people, not even to the best. This is for the world, for everybody. And he shows it coming up soon. Augustine says, God loves us so particularly that he loved us as if we were the only one to love. So he puts all of his energies into loving just us singularly, but all of us, right? 
And in John 3.16, why I love this passage, because it talks about the motivation behind why God does anything. Whether you're being chastised by him, whether you're walking through something you need help, the motivation that God sends is love always. And he responds and goes after things because of that. That's why you never see retaliation. He never retaliates in scripture. What happens when you smack somebody's cheek, right? Turn the other one. He's a non-retaliating savior. And mostly what's seen from him, the best thing seen for him, is when he's not retaliating. Death on the cross, where he had an argument where he was guilty. So fast forward really quick. Can you, can you go to John 7, 45 through 52? And I'm going to crank through these two passages. The next time you see Nicodemus in Scripture is four verses later, four chapters later. And it's when the, this group had got together and they're trying to figure out how to kind of corner Jesus. And this is what it says. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees who asked them, why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does. See, these people had seen Jesus, and people are baffled by him. People are like, we cannot make sense of this. We, he's doing things he shouldn't be doing. Like this, our law says this, he's doing things he should not be doing, totally, but he's doing them, and it's really happening, so we're like, what do we even do right now? So no one ever spoke this way. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted? So, so anyone who spoke for Jesus, so you're deceived, and then you see Nicodemus come into the picture. Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? They don't know it, but one in their midst actually already believes in him, but he's afraid to stand up and fight. So this is what he says. No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law, there's a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, does your law, (laughs) I love this, how creative, like he's not willing to be like, Homeboy said, you have to be born again, spirit of spirit. So he uses what they would argue with, the law. And he says, does not our law. He can't be cornered right here. People are like, does this guy love Jesus or is he just just helping? Does your law condemn a man without first hearing him find out what he has been doing? Is that it? They replied, are you from Galilee too? Look into it (laughs) and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Okay. Here is where I believe we live for most of our lives. We have seen Jesus so much to know that something has to actually be real about him. And we have even inquired of him and gone to him, many of us, and said, listen, I think this is tasting good. I want it. Like whatever. I saw the miracles. You made more wine. I don't know. When churches, we don't, some of us believe in drinking wine. Some of us don't. But you made wine. So that was cool. And then... How do, I, how do I have this? How do I have it? How do I have it? And four chapters later, he has this opportunity to stand up for the man that had impressed him. And he does it so deceivingly that no one knows who he stands for. And he uses their method of argument. Doesn't our law? See, here's where I believe we live. We don't want to jump all the way over because in the jumping all the way over, do you know what would have happened to him if he said, no, no, no. He said, you have to be born again, spirit of spirit, not flesh of flesh. Basically, the law is, is it's null, except for with him. He would have been what? He'd have been stoned and killed. He was not willing to jump all in. And he was, he was only willing to use the law in terms of behavior for his argument. Maybe you don't think we do that. But when I'm not walking with the Lord, I can still be good if I'm not doing this. If I'm not doing what she's doing, you know, I'm not. I'm not necessarily that bad. 
if I, well, so I'm, I'm not like totally following God, but I'm totally not, and I'm not an alcoholic, I'm not hiding things, I'm not hurting people, I'm not a womanizer, I'm, I'm at least not those, I'm definitely not a criminal, I mean, I'm not going to jail, I have been in jail, I'll tell that story later, but I'm not now, so I evidently must be good in relation to, you know, that person that's awful, I mean, she's a harlot, we don't use that word, we use a different one, but that's biblical, you know, but I'm not like them. See, we live in this place where we use the law to say, we're okay, you know. We're okay. We're not okay. We're not okay in this argument. We're not okay standing in a middle ground where he is not all that we have. And my challenge, I think, to us today, man, I just, I want to see us, like, I want to see you go so deeply in that when someone looks at you, they know the first thing about you is Jesus. The first thing they know about you is not how attractive you are like my wife. She's super attractive. The first thing they notice about you, that person follows Jesus. Well, how do you know? Their whole life is about them. Do you have to be a complete moron? In some ways, yes, because it doesn't make sense. But in other ways, no. Stop doing dumb stuff for the name of the Lord. Like, that is just stupid. There's some things that he is not about, all right? He's not about demanding people to do what you want them to do. He's about submissiveness to the point of death. And when people see that, they want what you have, not when you demand that they have what you have, okay? So does it make logic sense? It doesn't really. You have to become okay with that. You don't want to be, see, it's like every conversation we have, and I'm not going to keep here forever. Jesus is on trial. And every interaction we have, Jesus is on trial. And every person we know, Jesus is on trial, and they're wanting to see if we're willing to condemn him or not stand up for him, right? And Jesus is like, you got, you got to say the tough thing. But here's what it takes, okay? I'm going to jump forward to chapter 19. Nicodemus isn't ready to go all in and give his life until Jesus' life has been taken from him. And here's what I think the message for us today. Our society doesn't need to see what happens in 1 and 2, even though they're good. Talk about the word. Even miracles, great. Like, miracles, great. Those are good things. It's not enough in chapter 3 to have Nicodemus turn to him, right? And even what happens between chapter three and chapter seven still isn't enough, and there's tons of miracles and crazy things happening. It still isn't enough in chapter seven for him to stand up for his savior. But all the way until you get to chapter 19, when Jesus is crucified and loses his life and fulfills his own prophecy that he spoke in chapter three, that's when Nicodemus says, I am all in. Our culture needs to see people who are selfless, Do you want to know what I believe the water to our culture is? That if you put it in front of them, they will drink up. It's seeing selflessness because there is not selflessness in our culture. It is a culture of self. So even miracles can be misconstrued to be about people, even if from the Lord. So the number one currency, and you actually prayed this before, Justin. The number one thing the enemy cannot fight against is the true agape love of God, which means the other person is more important. I will die for you, whatever that looks like. And in this case, in chapter 19, can you pull that up? You see this man. Jesus has been killed. There's two people that head to his grave. So you've seen him in chapter 7 and 19, and here's what happens in in chapter 19. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly... (laughs) Joseph, this like, he's secretly a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared 
like what keeps us in secret, right? What's keeping us in secret? He feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by who? Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. So this is, this is what actually happens here. Because of what he did, he stood up in front of everyone. He now was a follower of Jesus. Whereas in chapter 7, he now, that this is when it transferred. To, and, and here's the beautiful thing about it. You don't ever hear from him again in the Bible. You see that he says, okay, I liked the miracles. I like this. I saw this man die. I saw this man, and I know if anybody didn't deserve it, it's him. And this man did not fight back. In fact, he said, I'm doing this for you. And he saw death, and he saw complete loss of self, and he gave everything. That's when he stood up. It's not even the miracles, and I want miracles. It's when you decide to die. And so your biggest impact you will ever have. It's not when God's using you for miracles. It's not even when you're preaching the word. It's when genuine agape selflessness comes through you and the other is more important. And if that happens, people will want your Jesus, especially in American culture. It's not about a jet airplane. I don't need one to take the gospel. I can cry with the broken. I can sit with the orphan. I can sit with the widow without any of those things. He's waiting on a community in the richest, most powerful nation in history to show up when people need them and go at a pace that has nothing to do with you. And he's asking us to follow him with everything. There is no other way but through Jesus. There's no other story of someone giving everything, especially a king, everything. You know, and Phil, you walked up and you told me a passage about how Will you just say it really quickly, the passage you were sharing with me? Yeah, I love that. He takes off his God clothes, so to speak, and says, I'll put myself beneath you. I'll wash your feet. And because of that, I can be your savior. And then he says, go do the same. And this is the challenge, and here's the challenge for you, I guess. Do you find yourself in chapter three? This is your question for your brain. Do you find yourself in chapter three like you still need to inquire? And, and it's a good place to be. I don't see anything wrong with being in any of the chapters. It's progressing towards I'm all in for this guy. But are you trying to reason with the Lord about certain things? And he's like, talking to you like he was talking to Nicodemus, like, I'm not answering your question. You're like, God's just not answering our questions right now. He is, he's just, you're asking the wrong questions, right? He needs to give you new ones. Are you in chapter three where you still need it to be proved? You're still trying to logically put this together. I wanna reason here. You know, it's good. You need to use your mind, and we do. Are you in chapter seven where you are convinced, just not willing, right? Here's the bold, here's the bold too much statement. There are people right now living a life that I, I wouldn't even have to convince you. It's not the life Jesus has for you. You would know that. You're living in chapter seven and you're like, I totally believe it, not willing to live it. 
There are people right now who, ah, you're not even in the right field because you chose it and you want it. And Jesus is like, slow down. You need to inquire of me. There are people in this room right now like, and I wouldn't even throw a stone at you. I'm not doing that. I would just say, maybe you haven't tasted and seen what he's done for you. Maybe you need chapter 19 for the first time and you knew it logically. We all know it. Maybe it hasn't become personalized to you. Maybe the death of Christ is not something you have actually tasted because if you had, life would come forth and his life would come forth. And you might have an enemy. That's what I love about Nicodemus. Like in his story, he has an instant enemy. Like the gospel, right? Like in our prosperous gospel society, when you say yes to Jesus, evidently you start driving a a Beamer like super quick. You're probably going to be famous at some point, you know, in the center of your own world. And this gospel, Nicodemus possibly loses his life as soon as he says yes. We are in a similar type society. You might lose everything up to this point that you feel like you've gained to say yes to Jesus. But his love will taste so good that you will want it. But then you'll depend on it day by day, his agape love. A love that's only for the other, it's not for him. Because everything he does is motivated by that love. I'm not going to keep going. So are you in chapter 3, 7, or 9, 19? Um, If you guys will stand with me, and, and music, if you'll go ahead and come up. Really a second question to ask you. In your life right now and the people around you, what is water to them? So water for some people is give them money for rent. Water for some people is something else. So if Jesus uses us to take the gospel to people, what is water for the people around them? If that doesn't make sense to you, I'll try and do my best to explain it later, but how do you show them your Jesus, right? The people around you. Some will need water, some will need money, some will need an ear to listen to them, some will need you to give up a, a day to be with them, some will need you to go to the hospital for them. What is water for the environment God has put you in? What would the people respond to that would say, oh, this Jesus is real and I'm willing to give it? And as you pray today, I pray that you would let him search your heart. And I just want to, Father, I just want to pray over these, this whole group of people that they would know we're not Nicodemus in chapter 3 or 7, you have died, and, and he didn't even get to see in this chapter your resurrection. You have resurrected. So now the veil has been torn, and everyone has access to the throne of grace. Every person can seek, knock, and ask, and find you. Every person has access, God. Anyone who would have faith, and it has nothing to do with logic or how good you're doing at being good. It's, I believe, Jesus, that you are the Son of God And I believe that my spirit is born again in you. So that, so much so that I become a new creation created in Christ Jesus. And so this um, this week, Father, as we celebrate materialism as a nation, I pray that our, this remnant of people would celebrate your presence. That you are here amongst us. In Jesus' name, you're here. Prayer teams, if you'll go ahead and get in place.
for those who might feel condemnation, that's not what he desires that you feel. If you're guilty, that's not what he desires that you feel. The love of God motivates him. That's what he, he has to quench that, not anger. It's not, I'm angry at the world, I'm gonna quench it by destroying. He has such a strong love that it motivates everything, and that's the end. I will send, and, and Nicodemus saw this, and instead of being mad at all of Jesus' enemies, he's motivated by love, and he gets Jesus' gifts for his burial. And that's the motivation that he wants you to know that he has to you right now. He's saying, come home, be at peace, I love you. In me, you can find fullness of life. Presence of God, speak clearly in here. We love you, Lord. So just for a few moments, give the Holy Spirit time to interact with your heart and your mind. And if he speaks anything to you or or draws you, we would love to pray with you. Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.